Hello and welcome to the show. Two Temples is a podcast where I, Sheikh Amrichka, talk to real people about real psychedelic experiences. We discuss how these experiences have helped us learn lessons and overcome personal issues. My goal is to help end the stigma surrounding psychedelics. You can help by sharing this podcast with your friends and on social media. I believe we can undo the decades of lies surrounding psychedelics and expose their healing potential by sharing story after story until the truth is undeniable. This is part two of the conversation with Gregory Lake. You can find his book, Psychedelics in Mental Health Series, Psilocybin, on Amazon. I'll leave a link in the episode description. He also has a Facebook group called Psychedelics in Mental Health if you're interested in being part of the community. Thanks for listening. If you have a comment or something you'd like to share on the podcast, please email me at twotemplespodcast at gmail.com. Thanks and enjoy. You know, especially with like psilocybin, it's like one recorded death and 10,000 years of use. But yet you go to like a Walmart or your local pharmacy and look at the over-the-counter aisle, and you're going to be hard-pressed to find any over-the-counter medication that comes with a warning that has a lower body count than that. I, I don't know if you can find one. I'm not going to say you can't, but I, I just don't don't know which one it would be. Well, and the list of side effects is longer than the list of oh, benefits, you know, yes. from, from most of that, those psilocybin is does not harm you no i mean physically it does not harm you um you know obviously and look i will i'll be the first one to admit this a lot of times i downplay uh the risk associated with uh you know people having mental breaks on it i do i my thing about that is this is that i think the the researchers harp on it so much but it seems to me that if this was really the case and the risk was that severe, that they would have some kind of poster child person or persons that they have found that this happened to, that they, you know, posted everywhere as an example of why this needs to not be generally available. Does that make sense? Yeah, because they seem to only run off these horror stories of, well, a friend of a friend did a bunch of acid and their friends told them that they're an orange and now they think they're an orange, you know, like, but there's never a name associated with those stories. It's just, well, it's a friend of a friend and to everybody, it seems to be a friend of a friend. It's really weird. Yeah. Oh, and that's it. So the only evidence, and and I do mention it in my book that they pull out for this was like a self-reporting thing about people having difficult trips. Um, that's it. And and look, to be honest with you, I went and pulled the study, and there's a lot of holes in it. For instance, while they say that these are, you know, directly attributable to, you know, psilocybin, really, a lot of the responses indicated that maybe other substances and alcohol were involved in some of the scenarios. So it's like, it's really, once you start pulling on that study, it's... It, really undercuts uh, the way that the researchers, these were Johns Hopkins researchers, wrote the article that formulated uh, quite a bit of my last chapter. Basically, they, in order to reclassify a drug under the Controlled Substances Act, there's like an eight-factor analysis that the FDA will conduct. Uh, and so they go through each factor, and, and they do a really good job. I mean, they pull studies from the 50s to modern uh, and address each factor. And, you know, the thing is, is that they even admit, like, this is very safe. This has a low to almost non-existent potential for abuse. Um, it's know, almost it's, anti-addictive in that way. Yeah, here at the day, at the end of the day, here we go. We got this one self-reporting study that was done uh, where people said that they had, you know, tried to harm themselves or others, or people had had to go get therapy after the event. Um and again, I went and pulled the study, and, and it kind of undercuts what they're saying as far as the validity of it, because again, it doesn't come out and say it, but the impression I got is that there were alcohol and or other substances involved in many of these reports. And at the end of the day, look, this is a self-report. You know, in the lab, they've administered psilocybin to, I don't know, maybe going on upwards of, at this day and age, almost a thousand. And they haven't reported one psychotic break yet. 
And, of course, they do a lot of screening. Don't get me wrong. They do really good, careful screening, and I'm glad for that. But you'd figure that if this was really a thing, that one, maybe two, would eventually slip through the cracks, right? Yeah. As far as I know, the only people that seem to um, have anything negative happen are either the HPPD, the hallucinogenic persistent um shit i don't know what it is but basically you have sort of visuals or a mental state like you're tripping constantly yeah i I have heard of that and um i i've i don't know like that whole bad trip thing just i feel like that's just not being able to interpret the trip properly all right so here we go on this tangent i agree with you (laughs) and and i believe that if you're having a bad trip, it's simple. Your ego's not letting go, and some people just have that problem. You mm-hmm. know? But look, even the research says that healing happens during bad trips. Now, the research did say this, too, that there comes a certain time point that if your bad trip lasts so long that it starts to degrade the positive of the experience, all right? which I understand that. I can jive with that. I mean, look. If I have 20 minutes of a bad trip, that's probably kind of healing, whereas if I have like three hours, I mean, I could see where that's kind of demoralizing and, you know, has a a lingering negative effect afterwards. Um, But, you know, again, those people just need to try again. Yeah, and I feel like... Sorry, go go ahead. Um, I feel like when it gets to that point where, like, the, the bad trip is lasting longer than even an hour or so i feel like that's a lot to do with setting or like or yeah. the people you're with like cuz these uh, these experiences that you have during a psychedelic trip they don't last long like i for me anyway i can't keep a train of thought for super long i i seem to go through different topics pretty quick in my mind so yeah. like for somebody to be hung up on the same thing in their mind for that long it, it doesn't really make sense to me i feel like it sort of like kicks you in the ass and you sort of get over it but at the same time i don't have a lot of um i guess like deep rooted trauma that i had to get over you know yeah and and look that's the psilocybin will bring that to the forefront you know there, there might have been something that you didn't think was that big of a deal that it will bring up. Um, and I want to go back to what you said. I think you said a very, very poignant statement when you said, if it lasts so long, it likely has something to do with set and setting. I absolutely agree. And that's kind of backed up in the science, too, because obviously they pay great attention to that, okay? And the bad trips people have uh, – in those instances are very short-lived. Well, I'm not say very, but they don't, from what I understand, and I can't quote it exactly because I kind of just glanced over it, but I want to say that they've never had one last like longer than like 30, maybe 40 minutes. You know, because you have two therapists there with you. You're in a very comfortable setting. Um, and, you know, my view of it is those are probably people who had a lot to deal with, you know, and some people do. Well, if you're in that medical setting, I assume there's something you're trying to get over. Yeah. You yeah, know, absolutely. otherwise people wouldn't take part in that sort of study. Like an, uh, somebody that's happy with life wouldn't be looking yeah. into doing a psychedelic study like that. Well, the thing is, is that when I was going over the studies of healthy people, you don't really have a lot of talk of people having bad trips. I'm not going to say they don't mention it or that it didn't happen, but there's really not a lot of discussion about it. I bet because they probably didn't happen that often. But when you get into the depression and especially the addiction, and this is, this is kind of a distinction here I think is happening as well, is that I think a lot of that bad trip is showing you bad stuff that you've done. You yeah, I mean? oh, oh, definitely. Uh, what I feel like it is is almost like there's – this tree that's growing okay like when you're born the the tree starts growing and there's obstacles that the tree has to grow around and those are our traumas so what i feel like the psychedelics do is they go back to these traumas and they sort of unkink 
where the tree grew around this, you know, like an alcoholic father or uh, a parent dying at a young age or, you know, a sibling dying or whatever it is, addiction. I feel like it sort of unkinks that and allows, you know, the tree to stand stronger and fix itself. Yeah, and, and in order to unkink it or fix it, you have to go back and take a look at that. Yeah, and you have to physically remove that trauma because that trauma is still there. So you have yeah, to be able to, yeah, physically was, remove it. I think naturally people who are in an addiction, I know I was in one, like, you know, when you're in addiction, you end up doing people pretty bad. You know, you do. Uh, you end up stealing, lying, cheating, whatever it may be, you know, while you're in your addiction. Um and so I think that's probably why in the addiction studies they had people who were having, you know, some bad experiences. But I will also say, too, that they did note in several cases, because you'll see uh, one of the studies I cite to in the addiction chapter is actually like a case study of like three different people who are participating in the active alcohol trial they got going on right now. So what they did is they, you know, I guess, I don't know, I'm just going to say, look, you know, they were probably about halfway through, and they said, look, we're going to we're gonna pull some of these people we've already, you know, had go through the trial, and we're going to talk to them about their experiences, and then we're going to do a study on it. So I, that's what I kind of talk about, and I recount some of the actual narrative that these people gave the researchers, and pretty much all of them go back to and look at their alcohol use and how it hurt them and how it hurt their family. But all three cases talk about how therapeutic that was in the end. Uncomfortable at the time, therapeutic at the end. Yeah, that's what I always seem to read whenever I read about um, any studies on uh, good and bad trips. It seems like the bad trips are the learning lessons and a high majority of those. Um, like the 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 sort of negativity that you feel during the trip it doesn't transfer after the trip you like it goes away and then you sort of like it, it sort of resolves itself yeah no it does it does and um you know and again that's reflected in the studies i mean the thing is is that i did have preconceived notions of trips obviously a long time ago i partook in one uh but Everything that I had a preconceived notion of pretty much played out as I was reading the studies. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Like when we talk about bad trips and my impression of them, even though I've never had one that I can think of. You know, obviously when we were younger, when I was like a teenager, you know, my view of psychedelics back then was these are fun. Like Recreational. Laugh and, you know, drink beer with my buddies and eat some and laugh. And, and look, we had some good times. Don't get me wrong. Like, you know, I remember when we were kids, we were drinking beer, eating mushrooms, and, you know, we would laugh for hours, like, to the point to where it, like, hurt to laugh, you know? And so my impression of, you know, psilocybin for the longest time was these are just something that you eat, and everything's real funny. You see things from a different perspective, and it's hilarious, um, but always harmless. You know, I never, ever have looked at them to be harmful. I mean, it's hard to when they come straight out of the ground. Um, obviously, there's poisonous mushrooms that come from there, too. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> yeah. These were fun. Um, but, again, it's not till I had that one, my last experience um, that just hit me on that mystical level. And, you know, I, I have a feeling – I mean, look, the cat's out the bag. My mom's death obviously contributed a whole lot to my poor decision-making and my addiction. Um, what what age did that happen? Do what now? Uh, what age did that happen? Like how old are so you? I was 24. I, it happened at the end of my second year of law school. And so, look, I was already an addict at that time. I'm not going to, you know, make something that's not. You know, I was drinking, taking Adderall and smoking marijuana every day. Don't get me wrong. I, I was an addict and occasionally, you know, partook in other hard drugs. Um, But once she died, it's really when the opiates started. Um, And this trip happened kind of right before then. Um, but, you know, like I say, if I would have like calmed down on doing all those other drugs, you know, and kind of really processed through what was done in that trip, I'm not saying I totally would have been relieved of the trauma of my mother, but I think that I could have possibly avoided the opiate addiction I got into. Um, but hindsight's always 2020. I do believe for my life that my addiction 
was something that was set up for me to be the strong person that I am today. Yeah, everything's based off experience. And if if you didn't go through that experience, really, would you be writing this book? Or would you have written this book? No, I mean, I can't say for sure. But I will tell you this, that, you know, I had to overcome a a lot of, I want to say a lot, like quite a bit of lingering self-doubt and fear still left over from my addiction to to write this book. Like, I I will say that my... uh, uh, my self-esteem and my uh, has increased through this ordeal. You know, over the last week and a half since I published it, you know, you kind of got to put yourself out there to market these things, you know, and and set yourself up to possibly be ridiculed or whatever. And you know, it takes some takes a little bit of heart to do that. Um, but it's been such a great self-development project for me. Um, I'm just so happy that I chose to pull the trigger on this. And look. I say it in the book, and I've said it a lot of other places, so I'll go ahead and cover this too. My, my sister, um, you know, got so offended by the thought of me writing this book, and this was before it was even ever written, um, that she's cut off all contact with me, and I haven't been able to see my nieces. Um, to this probably, day? Huh? Like, to this day? You still have To this day. This happened maybe, and I'm just trying to guess, maybe early April. Um and so pretty much since then, um, I, I haven't been able to see them. Uh, and it's, it's been kind of hard. Um, you know, I, I had to make the choice, you know, um, you know, write this book or, you know, live someone else's desires for my life. Well, that kind of confuses me. Like after her seeing you go through all these like negative drugs and then go to rehab and uh, all this stuff, like, why is the positive drug the problem? Well, it's because she's still suffering from the 50, 60 years of, of social conditioning. Uh, and her, her friends are apparently too, because her reasoning to me was that um, her friends think it's weird. So she wants to cut off all communication with me um, because it's it's pretty obvious that you know their opinion of her matters more than her feelings for me yeah that that's very odd in my opinion and i'm sorry that you don't get to see her yeah no you know it's very hurtful um but you know one thing i will say is that i think that everything in life happens for a reason and that there's some kind of spiritual lesson uh that i'm having to learn through all this one thing that i have discerned is that look i love her unconditionally you know and when I say that, I, when I say unconditionally, I have to meet. It's either I don't love her unconditionally, or, you know, basically I got to live by my word. So I do. I love her unconditionally. So even though she's doing what she's doing, I still love her. There are no conditions to my love for her. Um, but at the same time, I had to realize that just because I love someone unconditionally doesn't mean I have to necessarily like them all the time. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Because, look, there's people that, that, you know, upset me, you know, but I'm, I mean, I, I cut for them, you know. So even though you're doing something that upsets me, look, if it comes down the wire and you need me, I'm there. Yeah, and if it's them being upset, especially in a circumstance like this, like, that's that's on her. Like, that's not on you. Yeah, well, and look, I'm not saying all this to, to try to take a high road or No, definitely not. I understand. I just, it, it helps, and, and I'm doing it on a podcast, but it, it, it helps me to process it. You know, it, it helps me to process it. So I do appreciate you and everybody else kind of taking the time to listen to that. And, and I say that, look, I can tie this all back in, too, because, look, we're fighting as far as the front of trying to get psychedelic psilocybin to, you know, as legal medicines, we're fighting against 50 years of 60 years of, of terrible social conditioning. Okay. That's so strong that people will cut off ties with you, your own blood, your own family. So I just want to tell people out there that, you know, if you choose this path and you really want to be an advocate, you got to realize that sometimes being an advocate or, you know, do pushing a certain agenda can come with negative consequences, you know, and you got to be willing to accept that. 
Yeah, so. we're we're kind of the step down from uh, alien enthusiasts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like as soon as you come out about being an alien enthusiast, you're yeah. you're heavily ridiculed. And then the step below that is psychedelic enthusiasts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so look, and we can look throughout history. The the greatest and most effective uh, people who have effectuated social change. Let's look at Martin Luther King, or you know, you could have you could name a lot of them. But look, they all did what they did, knowing that it's going to come with repercussions, and they took them with their head held high yeah yeah we're fighting no, against the yeah, grain no, no whining no complaining you know what you're getting into accept it and and i'm not gonna try to like stir anything up with what i'm about to say i just want to show an example colin kaepernick when he knelt on the field i agree with that 100 percent. like look I, i'm good with it okay i respect it but he knew when he did that that there was a possibility that that it would backfire on Okay, and when it did, the way he acted kind of rubbed me wrong because look, it, it, it takes away from what you're trying to say when the negative consequences come and you're kind of whiny about it. Does that make sense? Yeah, because you're making a statement and yeah, you and have so you to need back to stand it. up and be a man or a woman or an adult and accept the consequences with your head held high. Mm-hmm. And you know? like with this podcast, I understand that there might be like legal consequences to some people coming out if somebody heard it or they might get fired or whatever. So I totally respect that if somebody wants to use like an alias or whatever, like it, it's cool. I just like I want to know that yeah. it's an alias, you know, because like yeah. the stories we're telling are true. So for us to be authentic, I need yeah, sure. I, yeah, that's that it. part look, of it. You know, with me, yes, I'm an attorney. I, look. I've been sober five years. Uh, the state bar knows it. You know, everybody knows I've had my drug problems. Uh, since I've gotten sober, I have not engaged in any kind of psychedelic use. Um, you know, but I definitely support its legalization. And I guess that cat's out of the bag. Um, and it's a very intriguing topic to me. Um, so, you know, it is what it is. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm hurting nobody. I'm not hurting myself. Um, I'm just trying to do what I feel in my heart is right, and that's to use my talents and abilities to make what I see as an effective medication, which I think the science would agree, uh, available to as many people as possible in as quick as possible. So to that point real quick, you, it, when you get to the end of my book, you'll see that I essentially say that, look, at the end of the day, I think the quickest way that we're going to be able to go about, at least in the U.S., making these therapies generally available for the largest groups of people who need it, people with treatment-resistant depression or major depressive disorder and addiction, is going to be with the researchers through the route of rescheduling. Um, that's that's going to make – that's going to be the quickest. Now, obviously, you have measures like in California, in Oregon, who are going to reach a broader range of people. I know that, and I wholeheartedly support those. But as far as – my opinion of what's going to hit the greatest number of people the fastest is the rescheduling, uh, you know, what the researchers are advocating for. Yeah, because in the end, they're sort of the, the trusted people to, yeah, so, for us you know, to look, look for. Yeah, because when they reschedule it under the Controlled Substances Act, then it will be available to people in every state. Yeah. Know? Whereas if we do California, everybody in California will be good, but people in North Carolina won't, you know. So it's it's kind of a, a push-pull kind of relationship, but I kind of envision it as federal level good while the states kind of piecemeal it. Uh, it's kind of unlike marijuana because marijuana is still illegal here at the federal level. Um, I, I think they're trying to change that, but – here it would kind of be the reverse even though there are some jurisdictions that have decriminalized it i think federally is going to have the biggest move first and then the states piecemeal it to where eventually it'll be generally available to everybody yeah i liked when um weed was first sort of being legalized in a few states and in canada too it was just um Everybody thought the world was going to end, <laughs> you know, like there's, yeah, there, oh my God, what's going to happen? 
like look they they decriminalize all entheogenic plant medicines in both uh oakland and santa cruz the bottom has not fallen out people are just fine as a matter of fact i venture to say that there's probably some people who are better oh um, definitely actually i can tell you i know there's some people who are better because of it um i just know that and you know that too um, but at the end of the day, we can say for sure the bottom hadn't fallen out. And so, you know, the people who are kind of hesitant on, on this issue, we've got some testing grounds right now. If, if you're a non-believer, look, read the science. Look at these jurisdictions that have already made a move on it and, oh. and tell me what your concerns are past that point. Yeah. Well, at the very least, just stop putting people in prison for doing these that substances. That's, that's, look, you know, and just real quick, my view on that is that drugs should not be illegal. People should not be criminalized for making a personal decision about what they want to do with their own body. Um, you know, we should, instead of putting them in jail, offer them treatment. Um, Especially when alcohol is legal. Like, that makes no sense. I could go on a whole tangent about that. I actually, so... You're probably aware uh, Louisiana, in particular South Louisiana, is a huge drinking culture. Huge, like huge, like drinking and really to a large extent doing hard drugs. Is, is, like, is that a moonshine sort of area? No, it's it's mostly beer and wine and whiskey. It's everything. Okay. Just alcohol. <laughs> Every, yeah, yeah. A lot of wine drinkers. Though, I will say that. I know it's a lot of wine drinkers here, but here's how normal it is. Uh, this last fall, uh, my sister called me. This is when we were talking, and um, you know, she's like, "Hey, there's a church right by our house, a Catholic church, a huge Catholic church. I mean, it's probably, you know, a seven to ten acre, you know, compound with all these fields and buildings, and but it's literally right there by our house, walking distance." She's like, "Hey, they're having a fair here." Uh, the kids are here. They want you to come out here and come play with them and take them some rides and, and all that. And, you know, I don't drink now. So I'm like, cool, you know, this will be a good, you know, sober thing. I can go out there and play with the kids and have fun. And, you know, this will be a good time. Well, I show up, and, and I shit you not, they are serving keg beer and wine in just absurd amounts. On the church grounds, pretty much all the adults are inebriated some of them to the point of being wasted um i see adults getting in the car with children you know basically drinking and driving from the church grounds in front of everybody putting toddlers in car seats and stuff it was probably one of the most sickening things i've ever seen and i ended up having to leave uh, I, I got there and i just started to feel very uncomfortable um, and what was going on and look I'm no better than everybody else I'm not judging these people but it just it made me feel uncomfortable um, you know one thing when I was in rehab they taught us to hold people accountable you know and so like when, it, when the rehab I was at like if someone broke a rule in front of you you had to hold them accountable um, if you didn't you could be held accountable too so seeing all this go on and I could do nothing about it made me feel very uncomfortable um, so I ended up leaving but I, I, I sort of want to revert back. These are the same people who are saying that my psilocybin book is weird and apparently are egging my sister on to cut off all contact with me. Um, so that's that's what we're fighting against here. It's It really boils down to insanity. Uh, it makes no sense. And, you know, look, yeah, and I'm sure you're probably aware, most people who engage in psychedelics, like, meaningfully, uh, you know, kind of like you for a purpose, for a journey, uh, trying to better yourself. I mean, th those people don't really engage in that type of behavior um, for the most part. I'm not going to say as a blanket rule, but you're not going to see someone who is using plant medicine on a spiritual journey drink a 12-pack of beer and hop in the car with some kids. No, <laughs> definitely not. You're probably not going to see them drink more than a couple beers if you see them drink at all. Yeah, yeah, that's the way I am. I'll have a few, but like, I, yeah, I, I don't look, like the feeling of waking up in the morning hungover. Yeah, look, look, there is nothing wrong with having a few drinks. I, look, if I hadn't been through everything I had, I would I would be drinking beer today, okay? I'm just put that out there. I'm nothing against it, but... There comes a point where you're putting other people and children's lives in danger. Drinking is where I say that's that's no no. 
you know, that's, that's no good. Yeah. Um, and I see it a lot here. I can't tell you how many social events I've been to with my sister, everything she's invited me to adults are drinking, getting in the car with children every single time. And it's just, it's gotten to the point now that I've been separated from it and thought about it. It's sickening. And, and it sickens me even more that these people are judging me. Well, you know, there's, but... there's even that sort of mentality in like some of the psychedelic groups. Like I, I posted about an experience that I had on, I guess my last um, acid trip where as I was just about to go to bed, I heard my daughter um, in her room. She was like tossing around saying like, no, no, like having a nightmare. So I went in to comfort her before I went to bed because like, how could I not, you know? So yeah. like I, I go in and as I'm approaching her crib, I feel like it feels like I'm walking through like spider webs. Like I feel like my forehead tense in and sort of like pull back as I'm walking through. And it just felt like the whole energy was just like stagnant and like, just like, a, like cobwebs. And yeah. so, so I posted my experience about that on, I can't remember which group it was, but somebody commented this sort of snarky remark. Cause I, I asked at the end, like if anybody had experienced anything like this and then some woman commented saying no I'd, I'd never trip with my kids in the house and it's like okay <laughs> like it's not like i'm the only one watching her and stuff you know like it was just yeah, automatically so went to this wife was obviously there right yeah yeah she like she was in bed but like i, I would never trip by myself while i'm responsible yeah. for anything obviously. you know let alone my daughter yeah, it's not like you were peeking in a room like, you know, look. Yeah, I, I get it. Like you're you're not you're preaching the choir here. I, I have no issue with that. Look, I, I know that that you're responsible enough and a hardworking man, like you're not gonna do anything to put your daughter in jeopardy, um, or do anything stupid, you know, like so you know, those those people and, and I get that a lot in the psychedelic community. A lot of those people are on high horses. Uh, and like to judge people. I don't want to say a lot of them. I'm not going to say a lot of them. There are some people in there who I sense that there's still some lingering ego, uh, you know, in there. And but that's you know that's just life in general. We we got to accept the fact that people are going to judge us. And, and I've come to terms with that. You know, I'm not a perfect person. You know, none of us are. We're human. Uh, and we make mistakes and we do actions that some people take disagreement with that other people would say, no, you're fine. Uh, but at the end of the day, as long as you're good with it, that's all that matters. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. As long as, you're, as long as you know in that scenario that in your heart and in your mind that your daughter was perfectly safe and you had provisions set up for her to be safe, then that's all, that's all that matters. I mean, we could sit here and go back and forth all night about it, but at the end of the day, you're the one that is responsible for it. And if you feel like you did the right thing and, and were had everything set up or she was going to be okay, then that that's all. That's it with me. Yeah. I'm not... like, like I said, my old lady is in the other room. Like if anything did happen, if I, if anything like turned my trip bad in any sort of way, like I just take a step back and call her, you know, like it's, I'm, I'm, I'm just there to comfort her. And if, she doesn't want me there or if you know whatever i'll i'll leave you know it's just it it's such a loving feeling when i'm like close to her or when i'm close to uh my girlfriend holly like it's it's just like it just amplifies those feelings and sort of like in that particular situation it like sort of made me have to sort of grow up and sort of like overcome this like fear of a possible entity or something or like an energy or like a supernatural whatever you know like I had to this is my daughter and I have to protect her you know that's the mentality I, I have it's not like any sort of like weird you know bad trip sort of thing like it's she's always on the forefront of my mind if anything yeah um yeah I get it man like it's just yeah. funny that me that mentality still exists, you know, like and as much as you try to look, look, explain that's that. That's going to be in the community, you know, there's, there's certain people like, you know, they're a little scared of others. Oh, your, your mic is sounding kind of funky. Oh, is it better now? 
It's just quiet. Okay. Uh, better now? Uh, about the same. I can turn it up a little bit. Okay. Yeah, I don't know, I don't know what happened. Um, but look, you know, there's people in every community like that, and, you know, I love them too. <laughs> you know, that's the thing about me is that, look, I realize that, um, you know, to, to really be an effective member of, of the psychedelic community and advocate, our actions have to speak louder than our words. And, you know, what these plant medicines generally teach people is that love is the answer to all things. And it's the most powerful thing in the world. So I'm just learning every day to love people, whether they judge me or ridicule me, um, just to love them back. Again, I don't have to like them, but, you know, I do love them. Um, and I just hope that they also love themselves. Yeah. But, and if you notice me on my on my Facebook group, I'm I'm real. I I talk to everybody um, because I know at the end of the day, if I'm selling books and I'm associating people on Facebook, I want them to think. You know, I want to earn every book. You know, I really do. I want to earn every book. I want to get out there. People say, "I'm going to get your book." I want to say, "Thank you. I appreciate it." If you need anything, reach out to me, and that's what I do. If people tell me that they're going to buy the book, that's what I tell them because that that means something to me. Uh, that for one, I'm very grateful. Uh, but two, I just, I want to earn every book, you know, I, I want them to know that I do appreciate it and that, and I mean it, if I tell someone on Facebook and this goes for anybody on the podcast, like just reach out to me. I gave my contact information earlier. Just, just reach out to me. Um, yeah, I'll put your I, info in the description too. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't mind. Yeah. Of look, course. Reach out. And, uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, uh, feedback, I would love to hear it. Um, cause look, you know, at the end of the day, especially with the feedback part, we're not going to get any better if everyone around us is a yes man and you're doing great. An echo chamber. Yeah. Now, yeah. Now, now granted, look, those comments are great for building people up, building me up. Uh, and I do love that. Yeah. It's motivation. Really yeah. But like the other day, uh, a guy, you know, who read my book, like text me like three pictures of grammatical errors he found. And at first I was kind of offended by it, but you know, even though I knew when I sent it out that there were probably a few grammatical errors, well, he sent them to me. But before I could respond, I, and this goes back to what we were first talking about, the emotional intelligence or wisdom, I said, look, I'm just gonna chill for a minute. This guy's probably being nice and just giving constructive feedback. And before I could even respond, he's like, but he said, I'm very knowledgeable on, on the research and this is everything checks out you did a great job and he's like having a few grammatical errors in a book it's like having whiskers on a beard you know so he and that's what i'm saying so i um i just look i'm open to constructive criticism and i invite it and hopefully you know taking that into consideration when i decide to do my dmt book next it'll be even better oh so you're planning on dmt before the mdma yeah, so I am going to do the DMT for a number of reasons. I think there's more interest in the psychedelic community for it. I mean, I don't know. You're welcome to disagree with me. Um, no, I feel like it's sort of like it's less known. It's newer. Yeah. Um, but I think I, I chose to do DMT. Look, and to be honest with you, there's probably not going to be as much material on DMT as there is uh, – um, psilocybin, I'm probably going to have to dip pretty far into anecdotal type reports and evidence for that. Um, even though I have seen some DMT studies, and there, like we were talking earlier, there's that one major one that then they, I think you said they're doing it again, but I know, I think Rick Strassman back in the maybe early 90s at the University of New Mexico did the intravenous uh, DMT study. Um, and I think his big thing there was just trying to figure out what's going on inside of the DMT experience. But, you know, I'll probably do a whole chapter on just that because I'm sure it's once I dig into it and get all the information and read the books about it and all that, there will probably be a lot to convey um, because it, it's – and the reason I know about it is because I've seen YouTube videos on it. That's how I came about knowing uh, that study. So it will be interesting. Yeah, well, so have I'm, you have you heard of the uh, I think it's called the DMT lexicon? Uh no, not Okay, not, that will be a good source of information for you. 
I've probably heard it before, but I just... What, what do you mean when you say DMT lexicon? I'll send a link to you. It's basically... Uh, everybody has the ability to input their information. They're like DMT experiences, and so it's basically a compilation of like everybody's experiences and like these um, uh, entities that multiple people have experienced, like the machine elves or the jesters or whatever. You know, like it's just kind of a chronicle of everything to do with DMT. Okay. So yeah, like, I, there'll yeah, be lots there. Yeah, if you get a chance, if you could shoot me a link or something sometime, uh, I, I would love to check it out because, you know, like I said, I'm probably going to have to dip pretty far into, um, you know, the, the anecdotal realm uh, to get some, some material to, to fill up a book. Um, but, you know, I think they've actually done a study, and I think I ran across this in like a footnote in my psilocybin study that I think they've done a microdose ayahuasca. Uh, oh. stuff before. Huh. Don't quote me on that, but I, I'm almost sure. I mean, uh, why wouldn't they? You know that that's not, or, and if they haven't, shit, they should. Well, I know, and I posted this on my group the other day. Is that they actually did a safety analysis, and it was kind of more or less a survey uh, of the UDV church. You know, of the, you know, I think the UDV church. I think they do ceremonies like every week or two weeks or, or very often. Um, and they found that you know, and this was actually Dennis McKenna, and um, I can't remember the other researcher, but he's well known. Um, you know, they found no harmful long-term physical or mental effects. And as a matter of fact, they found the opposite. Um, they found that people physically and mentally were sharper and stronger and, uh, you know, than the norm. So that's very interesting. And so I will definitely be putting that one in there, but it's just one of those things I'll have to just kind of surf the web and collect it all and then put it all together. And so that way, you know, again, my, my goal with these books is that people can open my book and pretty much get the rundown on what the science says about, you know, any given substance at least at the time of publication. Yeah, definitely. It it, it helps to have all that in one place because no, it does. It, it takes it forever does. to find you any know, information. I, I had somebody the other day ask me, "Well, your your ebook's nine ninety nine. Don't you think you should have put it at uh at two ninety nine? And I and look, that's what a lot of people do. You know, new indie authors they do do that. Granted, but they're not doing the type and depth of research that I am. Um, and, you know, the thing about it is this. If someone were to just on their own accord go through and acquire all that research, it would take them quite a bit of time. Um, and so, you know, if you're really interested in the subject, I mean, my book, you can pick it up. You'll have uh, 180 pages of straight studies. Um, I think I have over 250 footnotes in there with citing to other studies too. So there's just a lot of material there that, you know, you're going to save yourself a whole lot of time and headache. Um, yeah. Cause all that information is out there. It's just, you took your time to put it all in one place. And for somebody to complain, uh, to bring up the issue of, you know, $7 or whatever, it's like, yeah, really? Yeah. It's somebody who hadn't even read the book, you know, and that's what I get. It's like a lot of people, well, I haven't had really any criticism, uh, you know, I really haven't had any criticism on it other than that. Uh, and the guy that kind of, uh, you know, told me about the grammatical errors, which he wasn't upset about it. He was just kind of pointing them out, um, which, look, I, I admit there's, there's a few in there. I will take... When I do the DMT book, I'll promise my readers that I will actually go ahead and just pay somebody to edit the full thing. Um, but I will say this, the, the psilocybin book, that's raw, that's me. Um, you know, because in my job, I do a lot of legal research and writing, so I have a lot of practice. And I, and I think that's why I'm probably a good candidate to be writing these books, because for me, it, does, it doesn't take me as long to do it, because I do it every day. Granted, it's legal research and writing, but 
I'm just real good. Like when I get in the groove, to be honest with you, like dropping a footnote feels sweet to me. Like, <laughs> like, like when I drop a footnote, it's like I'm going down the mountain and hit like some fresh powder on my face or something. Like I'm weird like that. And I guess I'm a nerd, but you know, um, it is what it is. I, I enjoy it. And I'm glad that other people are getting enjoyment out of it. Um, I'm just glad that this knowledge is getting out there and that people in the community and hopefully others will be able to now finally sit down and understand the comprehensive picture of the science. Yeah. And join the fight. They, I, you know, I hope so. Obviously, <laughs> you know, that's, that's up to their personal decision. And, and I said earlier for some people, that's going to mean some consequences. Um, but, you know, all I can say about that is if you're wanting to be vocal about it, think about those things and understand that there's some people in our society who so strongly disagree with your position that science, that, that citation to science or history will do nothing for your cause with them. Yeah. Um, so just be aware of that. And, um, you know, if you're good with it, right, make your move. Yeah, there's a lot of people that just won't be able to accept it and won't put the time in to, like, read it. But once there's enough of us that, you know, are willing to say, well, this is the truth, then the truth will come out. That's it, man. And all we can do is put it out there. Look, I bet there's not been one history, one issue in the history of mankind that there hadn't been some people out there that no matter what you tell them, it's just they can't see it your way, and that's life. Um, that is life, and just something we got to contend with. And again, if you want to be vocal, just be good with that fact and and proceed accordingly. Yeah, yeah, because we are challenging the status quo, really. <laughs> we are, and and again, there's been fifty, sixty years of terrible social conditioning. And, and I will say this, you know, we talk about. You know, oh, this is so wrong that psychedelics are illegal. Well, I mean, when you look at the scientific results that are coming out today, it's really wrong. Mm -hmm. It's it, it's so ass backwards that it just sort of defies, you know, logic or explanation other than there were some political forces and other things at work that made this happen. Yeah, um, and uh, it's almost at the point where we just have to like point, you know, just look. And like that's those it. who yeah, are willing are, to look yeah. will look, and those yeah, who aren't will cover their ass. If if we're gonna try to go back and rehash how everything went wrong, we're not gonna be able to ever point to what what it really was. Yeah. Um. There was a lot of different forces at work that didn't make any sense. Um. And things ended up the way they are. The best thing to do at this juncture is just to accept it for what it is, and uh, look forward to a better future, uh, based upon science and fact. Yeah, like your book, we can say, like, this is has all the scientific knowledge sort of based around yeah. uh, psilocybin. We can just point at it That's and it. say, look. And then, like, That's what it. my goal with this podcast is, like, just personal experiences where we can just point and say, just listen. Listen to what That's this person has to say. This is their experience. This is from them. This isn't somebody paying anybody to do anything. This is what they experienced. That's it. And so, you know, um, yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, I want to relate something that I heard uh, Terrence McKenna say in a lecture the other night. You know, he was infatuated with DMT. And he's like, look, this DMT only lasts five or ten minutes. <laughs> the doubters cannot spare five to ten minutes to get a try to see what all this is about. Then they're basically he's saying they're not credible. You know, you want to sit here and doubt it. Fair enough. But here we have a harmless substance that will take you on a psychedelic trip for only five to ten minutes um, to where you can experience what we're talking about and then make up your mind after that. Yeah, I, I kind of relate it to people who say like who haven't looked through a telescope but are telling you what's out there, you know, or who haven't like dove under the water but are telling you what's under the water. It's like you don't know. You have to experience it to know it. Yeah. That's it, man. Um, and so I'm just hoping that without having to force DMT on people, we can change <laughs> some minds. <laughs> yeah. without, without calling them out, like, hey, hit this, you know. Um, 
we we can change some minds, and I and I do think it's possible. I think there are enough reasonable people in our society, Canada, U.S., abroad, um, that can read the science and understand and have enough compassion in their heart to understand that you know this thing is helping people who otherwise can't get help because it's you know what big pharma is offering them is just not working. And you know at the end of the day, we have to realize that big pharma. It, in some instances and in many instances can't do it as good as god did yeah and I, we were sort of talking about this earlier when it comes to how they're going to treat this sort of stuff when it does come into fruition i guess like, yeah yeah it's not going to be the same deal it can't be the same deal as what they're doing right now of like prescribing these drugs that you take multiple times a day no. and no, like that's not how actual healing works like this gets right to the source instead of numbing i I know they're going to be chomping at the bits to try to find something to take every single day but the science right now does not substantiate uh the assertion that that's going to work yeah it's just it just doesn't so they're going to have to go to the drawing books and look here's the deal is that if big pharma gets involved okay you got to realize this psilocybin is going to be taking a dent out of there here take this pill every single day of your life a dent a dent you think just a dent (laughs) i think it's gonna i mean yeah look there's still gonna be people who who remain on antidepressants i mean true and like they do help people that's for sure yeah yeah and that's the thing is that i think what the fda will probably approve it for is like i said treatment resistant depression major depressive disorder uh, where people have to pretty much show that they've undergone all these other alternative therapies before they're allowed to proceed to psilocybin. Fair enough. Um, but that's going to be taking, you know, a dent out of the antidepressant market. And look, if big pharma gets involved, they're going to have to try to make that up somehow. And the only way they're going to be able to do that is to charge absorbent amounts uh, for the psilocybin and the services. Yeah, to um, make up for the amount lost. Make up for it. So that troubles me because now I'm wondering how many people will that exclude from the market whose health insurance refuses to cover it or, you know, that are on Medicare or Medicaid here in the U.S. They're probably definitely not going to cover it. Yeah. Um, how many people is that going to pinch out of the market? And moreover, I don't know the statistics for sure, but I'm, I'm willing to bet that those are probably the people that are most affected by depressive disorders yeah the part i really don't like is that you would even have to go through all those other drugs to be given the opportunity to try mushrooms you know like i feel like it's the same with weed if if you just want to try it to see if it works you should be able to try it without trying like 20 different things with this huge list of side effects and I do agree, and, and I made my assertion, this is why I made that assertion, is that the phase two clinical trials right now, the ones that are breakthrough, uh, you have USONA Institute, which is, I think, U.S. and Canada, but they're doing major depressive disorder, which is a broader category uh, of people with depression. And then you have Compass Pathways, that's U.S., Canada, and Europe. They're doing the more narrow treatment-resistant depression uh, phase two clinical trial. And so, and that's why the FDA approved those trials for that certain niche of people uh, who fit those two categories, which are subcategories of the overall depression. Um, so my thought process is that they're only going to approve whenever they go to phase three. They're only going to approve it for people who meet those criteria specifically. Do I know that for a fact? No, I don't. Maybe they will, you know, open it up and say, okay, well people can skip all these other treatments and go straight to this. I hope they do. I mean, I think that would, it would just save so much on our mental health system uh, to let people. And again, this goes back to my comment about healthy people. I mean, if we let healthy people engage in this, how many of those people, and we might not ever have exact numbers, but how many of those people would completely skip having to enter the mental health system? Yeah, because if you sort of nip any sort of any trauma in the butt before it actually takes hold, then, yeah, you won't have to actually get into that rut to need the the drugs and the therapy and stuff. Yeah. And granted, 
I guess in, technically speaking, going to have a psilocybin service would be entering the mental health system technically, but I'm saying deep, like having to go see a therapist every month, take antidepressants every day, uh, have breakdowns and have to go to the hospital, you know, things like that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, ho hopefully we can cut those things down. I'm sure we can. Yeah, so that's why I'm really interested in organs. Um, and I guess to a larger extent, California's, um, you know, because, again, the reason why I kind of came down on the side of Oregon uh, was because it's more palatable to voters. So, you know, in California, if that larger bill passes or their proposal, that'll obviously be the best case scenario, I believe, because, you know, I, I think it should ha people should have access to it regardless of, of you know, any kind of uh, – uh, diagnosis or you know anything like that so it, it'll be very interesting and look I'm, I'm gonna go and let the cow out of the bag I'm I'm probably gonna end up doing a second edition of my psilocybin book once probably here in a couple years after uh, the state measures go through after the FDA trials have conducted and we see some more movement um, I'll just redo the book with all the original material plus uh, you know, cover in depth any kind of developments that have happened since then. Uh, I'm hoping that they will be substantial developments, and I'll be able to, you know, give some really good news. Um, but we'll just have to see how it goes. You know. Do you plan on um, like partaking in any of the substances in the meantime, <laughs> or like, or are you like uh, our no. our sober advocate? <laughs> I'll I'll leave it like this. Um, for right now, no. Um, if one day I'm ever, uh, you know, in the future, and I'll tell it to you like this, my mental health is fine. I'm not depressed. I feel good every day. I have a positive attitude, positive outlook on life. So to be honest, I don't know how much benefit I would even get from a psilocybin experience. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not saying I wouldn't derive any, but as far as like having an element needing it, I'm not in that scenario. So I wouldn't jump the gun anyways. But look, in 10 years, if I'm living in a legal jurisdiction where I have access to the medicine and I either have some trauma or if I find myself getting real down and depressed, I would definitely, it would be probably number one on my list of options. Yeah. Is that fair enough? Yeah. And that sort of um, goes back to what I was saying before, where it, it would be nice for you had you, if you do need it, that you would be able to go straight to that instead of trying like all yeah, these drugs I, to get to it. And, you know? and to be honest with you, like if I was having trouble, I would forego doing any treatment than getting on antidepressants. I would just try to work through it myself. For yeah. real, I, after reading about these antidepressants and their side effects uh, and mental effects, um, you know, I'm That's not scary. Uh, I'm not even going to go down that route. I would rather just like deal with it, talk to friends, uh, maybe a therapist, um, and go that route than than to put any kind of pharmaceutical in my body every single day of my life. I, I just not prepared for that. I don't want to. Yeah, yeah, I definitely don't feel like that's a. I I don't have that experience, but I feel like that doesn't heal anything. It just numbs it. It doesn't. What, and I'll go back to the science real quick. What it shows is that, you know, like one of the side effects is like not being interested in sex. Well, why is that? Well, what it shows is that antidepressants have a general blunting effect of emotional response in both directions. So, and the studies are kind of mixed on this, but the, the psilocybin researchers seem to indicate their belief is that this this emotional blunting goes both ways. Um, and I tend to think that's true too because, you know, I, I've known a lot of people on, on antidepressants and it's like, yeah, they don't get too low, but they don't really get real happy either. And if you're not interested in having sex, which I'm not saying, hey, everybody should just be gung-ho about having sex, but I mean, if you're romantically involved with somebody or married and you're not in the mood to have sex with them, on you know everything being equal that's an issue that is blunting your emotional response in the positive direction i would think yeah i, I definitely agree but I, I will say with the disclaimer 
<laughs> the science is apparently kind of mixed on it as of now. I don't know, you know, and I can't cite to it exactly, but I want to say some of the findings made by Robin Carhart Harris and them uh, in their depression trial, which I cite extensively in the book and talk about extensively, um, kind of had evidence indicating that it goes both ways. And so I, I, I would imagine that if you were to call Robin Carhart Harris today and ask him what his opinion was, he would say that it blunts emotional responses both ways. Yeah, because it's uh, usually those are SSRIs, right? Serotonin. Well, in the, yeah. So the ones that the psilocybin researchers are really interested in are SSRIs and SNRIs. Um, and I will say real quick, so I do cover this in my book, and this is probably the clinical trial I'm most interested in. Is one being done in, in with with Robin Carhart Harris and them at Imperial College over in London. They're doing a clinical trial that's comparing Lexapro versus psilocybin versus placebo for six weeks. Um, and so it's actually like an active comparator trial where, you know, the proof, you know, whether this is more effective and if so or if not, to what degree uh, will, will come out in that one. Now, Grant, I don't think it's a very, very large trial. Um, for some reason over there in London Imperial College, they, they won't ever let them get just a whole lot of people involved in their trials. And I'm saying that just by what I notice, you know, in the literature. Um, I'm not going to say that as a general rule, just kind of what I've observed. But um, so I don't think it's a huge, huge population, but it's a direct comparator. I mean, they're directly comparing it. Um, I think the psilocybin is going to be maybe like two to three sessions over six weeks. So that's kind of jam-packed session-wise, um, but, you know, I, I can't wait to see the results. Um, that's that's the one, as far as depression is concerned, that I'm most uh, interested in. Yeah. I mean, anything to do with psychedelics is kind of <laughs> interesting. And just, the, just, just yeah. the fact that, like, it feels like we're just sort of on the forefront of it. You know, we're just, it, like, we're, it's, it's sort of weird, like, since it was illegal and still is illegal, like there hasn't been a lot of research, but there's still been a lot of experience with it. So it's like we're sort of in the beginning stages of actually putting all that research out there, but there's so many years yeah. of experience that we can, you know, go back on and 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 learn from. Yeah, um, absolutely. And look, I just... And that's another thing I want to tell people, look, hey, if you want to know something about the science, I'm going to try my best to absolutely keep up on the cutting edge. So, look, join my group. Reach out to me if you got a question. Um, and I know the answer. I'll give it to you readily. But I tell you, the lawyer in me, uh, if I don't know, we'll, we'll turn you an answer around within 24 to 48 hours. Um, so uh, that's just how I am. If I don't know something, I will tell you that I do not. But I will also be one of the first to actually get on and, and go find it because um, I'm just naturally inquisitive like that. Well, we appreciate it. Um, we're just over two hours here. I got to get to bed. Uh, can you plug yeah, your no, stuff again too, before we take off? Do what now? Can you just like uh, let everybody know name of your book and where to get yeah, it? Yeah, and... yeah. So I'm, I'm George Lake. Uh, I just published the book, uh, Psychedelics and Mental Health Series, subtitled Psilocybin. Um, it's out on Amazon, both ebook and print. Um, you can search it under uh, psychedelics and mental health. Um, I do have a, a Facebook page under Greg Lake. And, and by the way, Gregory's my middle name, so that's why I'm Greg. But it's uh, G R E G L A K E. Um, and then I also have a Facebook group. It's uh, psychedelics and mental health. Um, on our Facebook group, I, I keep it pretty much strictly related. Uh, to discussion of the science and you know any kind of new and interesting articles and I invite everybody to join us and if you have any kind of unique experience or credentials uh, especially come on down because I, I want to hear everybody's point of view and take uh, so that way I can kind of take all that information and, and put it forward into my other books uh, and into my advocacy in the future I, I like to hear what everybody has to say and I think as a group we need to get together and all talk uh, and kind of get on the same page. That way, when we go out and advocate, uh, we're singing to the same same sheet of music. 
Yeah, we're all on the same team. We just have to unite. <laughs> That's it. That's it, man. Well, yeah, dude. Hey, thank you very much for this opportunity. And look, you know, in the future, I don't care if it's next week. If you want to do it again, I'll be glad to. Or if it's whenever, I'll be glad to come on again. Uh, maybe if you get any kind of special issue that you want to talk about on here, uh, let me know and I can do some research or we can both do some research and come on here and talk. I, I'm open game. I, I do appreciate everything that you and, and Jigs and a lot of the other Canadian people. Another one I want to uh, give a shout out to is Brandon Batstone. He goes under Bohemian Brandon. Do you know him? I do not. No. Okay. He's another good Canadian on there. As a matter of fact, he was one of the first ones that I spoke with when I first started this book. I want to thank all y'all and uh, anyone else who has you know supported me. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. And anybody else who thinks they might want to support me, come on out uh, and we can have an educated discussion. Yeah, man. We, we definitely appreciate it. Thanks for you know putting all this hard work into yeah. the cause yeah. you know and thanks for coming on like i appreciate cool. it and I thanks for sharing you. your story too like just you know yeah, it's, it's hard to come out about that sort of stuff so well you know listen um i think my story is what has given me the strength to do things that i do and i do believe that there's power in stories and if i can tell my story to empower someone else uh to live their life to their full potential then i will i will tell it to the day they they put me under Hell yeah. We definitely appreciate it. <laughs> well, I appreciate y'all. All right, man. You have a good night, and we'll definitely have you on again. All right, man. We'll uh, be in touch, okay? Oh, of course. Of course. All right, brother. I'll holler at you. All right. See you later, man. Uh -huh, Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. I'd also like to thank Gregory Lake for writing this book and setting aside some time to talk with me on the podcast. Make sure to support Greg's hard work by picking up your copy of Psychedelics and Mental Health series, Psilocybin, from Amazon. If you have a comment or anything you'd like to share on the podcast, email me at twotemplespodcast at gmail.com. The best way to support Two Temples is by clicking subscribe and sharing the show with friends and on social media. Next episode, I talk to a woman named Katherine Kelly about her battle against stage 4 breast cancer. She tells us about how she used ayahuasca, mushrooms, meditation, and other natural methods to fight her cancer and far surpass the life expectancy given by doctors. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss it. Ciao for now.